Welcome to your digital reputation. Here's your host, Roger Christie. Hello, and thanks for joining us. My name's Roger Christie, founder of Propel and LinkedIn advisor to leaders who know the value of a strong digital reputation. Today, we have a very special guest in to talk to us about the inner secrets, the tips and tricks and best practices of LinkedIn, and particularly how public sector leaders can use LinkedIn to their advantage. Propel's recent 2023 digital reputation report focuses on how our most senior public servants use or don't use LinkedIn as a way to connect, communicate and inspire their audiences. And while we'll go deep on all the trends, the data points and the examples from that report in another YDR episode, one thing that's already really clear without getting into the details at all is there's still plenty of room for growth for our public sector leaders on LinkedIn. So if you're listening, and considering how LinkedIn can work best for you, let's talk about how to do it, what leaders stand to gain when they do, and some of the best practice examples they can model off. And to do all this, I've invited a very special guest into the studio today who, when you think about the combination of LinkedIn and government, has as much authority as anyone in this space. So John McCoy, Senior Account Director for Federal Government at LinkedIn, welcome to the Your Digital Reputation podcast. Thank you, Raj. Pleasure to be here. Exciting time, I think, as you mentioned, you know, our public sector feels like we're having a bit of a moment on LinkedIn. People are starting to break off those shackles and engage and put themselves out there. So really think it's a good time to have this conversation. I completely agree with that. And I think that's a really nice way of framing it. We are seeing a shift, aren't we? We are seeing something changing, something moving, momentum, if you will. And I'm keen to explore all your wonderful insights and experiences, John, from the inside at LinkedIn, if I can call it that. But as we dive into the topic, I also want to point out, while that is absolutely your remit and experience, and we are talking, uh, we're going to put a lens on this, I suppose, for public sector leaders today. There are some really valuable learnings here in what you'll say and what you'll share for leaders and advisors outside government as well. And, And I think particularly for anyone who works in a highly scrutinized or regulated sector, there are a lot of parallels. So if you're listening today and you're thinking, well, hang on, I'm in the private sector, I think you're going to take a a lot away from what John has to say as well. And I should also say too, John, while our recent digital reputation reports show there is room for growth in among public sector leaders, I think it's also been encouraging to see a much greater level of activity, as you say, and a post you wrote not too long ago actually struck me and reminded me of what you just said to start, where you shared that 7,500 leaders working in federal government had posted in the last 30 days, 7,500 when you made that post. And that's significant. So if you can start by perhaps sharing a bit about that, where is this newfound interest and activity coming from, in your opinion? It is significant and it's growing. Yeah, I think if we re- I did that post maybe two months ago now, and if we reran that search today, we'd probably be looking at over 8,000. 7,500 quickly becomes eight. The next few months will be eight and a half. And that momentum just seems to be steadily building. I think there's a few factors which are at play here. And firstly, and this is a nod to those outside of the public sector as well, the landscape of the LinkedIn network has just shifted so much over the last few years. Probably wasn't that long ago when LinkedIn was probably seen as the preserve of primarily white collar, inner city, corporate professionals, people working in IT, people in sales, that kind of demographic. And I think a lot of people, whether you're in public sector leadership or whether you're in mining and materials leadership, they probably looked at LinkedIn and thought, is that for me? Particularly in government, they probably looked at their social media policy and thought, the people I know are on there, my social media policy is probably making it a bit prohibitive. Is this the kind of thing that I want to take upon on and really put myself out there to start with? I think we felt that for a few years, 
But if we look at how the LinkedIn network has changed, so now we're in a position where there's 14 million Australians who have a LinkedIn profile, which is a huge representation of the working population. So I think previously when people were thinking that maybe it's not for me, actually, well, now it is. You know, my colleagues are on there, my manager's on here, and the next person I want to hire is on here. And I think that the change in demographic has really changed the nature of the conversation that we're seeing on the platform. So it's less intimidating. Hopefully it's more welcoming. It's that kind of place where you feel that you can make a contribution. I think people are starting to notice that and, and build on. And I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into these themes in greater details as our conversation goes on. But I also, I suppose, point out the legacy perceptions of LinkedIn as more that job-seeking platform only. Yep. And I think what we're seeing is also maturity in the use. So as you say, the LinkedIn network has evolved, adapted and changed. And I think our understanding of the benefits there has also changed as well. And if you're working in the public sector, yes, there are going to be those um, career opportunities. As you said, and rightly point out, there'll be those talent acquisition opportunities if you're a leader. As uh, being a talent magnet, we had a fantastic conversation on this podcast about that not too long ago. There's also the communication and reputation benefits. And I would argue also, John, as you said, if previously it was seen as the domain of the private sector, we're seeing much closer collaboration between the public and private sectors on initiatives of social importance and community importance. And so if that's where that audience is, it also makes sense that more public sector leaders turn up to collaborate across sectors. And LinkedIn's a wonderful platform to facilitate that. But I want to come back to something that you said just before, John, around that growth. I'm really interested in that growth, as you said, that momentum that is building. And it sounds for me like there's a bit of a snowballing effect there. Would you say that's is that because as leaders make the choice to get more active and visible on LinkedIn, their peers are seeing that and starting to respond as well and wondering, well, why are they doing that and what's the opportunity for me? And they're starting to ask themselves that question. Yeah, I think so. I think you know, whether you're in government or whether you're in the private sector, the idea of a precedent is always a nice thing to work with. You know, very few people want to be the first adopter. Very few people want to put their hand up and say, I'm going to be a trailblazer here and go out and do it. But what we're seeing now is the benefit, the flow and benefit of those early adopters, of those trailblazers who went out and said, I'm going to have a crack at this. And they did it and they proved that it works and they got those early results and they hopefully took a bit of the fear factor out of it. And so now we're seeing that flow down, particularly from senior leaders. You know, we're seeing examples of you know, CEOs or secretaries or wherever you may be in the world to then you empower your leadership team then to flow through and carry on the conversation. So I think that's one of the important things. The seven and a half thousand leaders that we spoke about weren't all necessarily C-suite. They weren't all secretaries or assistant secretaries. We're talking about a lot of mid-level to senior level managers who are now got that confidence, I guess, to go out and use a platform like this for all the different reasons that you could look to post on there for. That's wonderful to hear because I think one of the biggest challenges we see in our work is that there is this frustration, if I can call it that, that there's a, a level of very senior participation and then there's a, a level of very junior participation and digital natives who are coming into their careers and saying, well, this is just how I operate. This is how I do things. And LinkedIn is part of that. And it's the middle where things can often be challenging. And so the psychological safety that leaders provide in enabling that middle, mid workforce, if I can call it that, to themselves be active, to collaborate, to recognize their peers, to build partnerships across sectors, as we were saying before, all these things are really important and valuable. And it's really encouraging to hear that as leaders, senior leaders get more more active, you're starting to see that middle management pick up the opportunity as well. You talked about fear, and I'm interested to know too, are we seeing that there is more of an adoption of LinkedIn of late because people are starting to realize it is one of the safer social media environments too? Yeah, I think for 
for LinkedIn is that professional network. You know, you're attached to the organization that you work for. So there is obviously a natural sense of trepidation that am I broadcasting on behalf of my organization? What freedom do I have? How safe is this as an environment for me to actually post and talk about it? And that completely makes sense. And that's, we've had to really keep that at the front and center of how we develop the platform. Our trust and privacy team are one of the most you know, well-supported teams that we have in the organization. They're always being asked, how are we progressing? How are we making sure that every update we make to our products put the trust and safety of the member right at the heart of it? Because for a platform like LinkedIn, once you lose that trust, it's very, very difficult to get back. So we've always got to make sure that this is a space, yes, where you can be free to talk, but also it's a professional space where you should be protected and you shouldn't be free to any attack or free to anybody that wants to post whatever they want to do. This is a professional growth-based opportunity building environment, and it's up to us as curators of that platform to, to keep it a safe and respectable place. And these are some of the kind of system level um, initiatives you're talking about, John, and I think obviously very important and relevant for people listening. But even at the day-to-day stuff, I know that there are little barriers, if I can call them that, to people getting online. And often it's as simple as if I do share a post, if I do share a comment, are people going to pick up my grammar? Are people going to pick apart something that I've said? Are people going to be critical of the words that I use and things like that, even the, the concerns around the individual messages? And I do think that One of the advantages LinkedIn has for people in the public sector and people who work in more scrutinized or regulated industries, it has an advantage in that anything anyone says is attached to their entire professional history, essentially, and their future career aspirations as well, and also their network, their professional network. And we talk about it on this podcast too, and in our newsletter, we talk about the fact that network is actually one of your greatest risk mitigants. So if you're active online, sure. If you're active online and you've built a network of trusted, credible individuals around you, that's even better because it means that when you do make the occasional slip up, and we all do it, we all make typos and things like that that we worry about. When we do that, we're doing it in a safe environment of people who know us, trust us, will vouch for us. And so we're far less likely to face risk. Whereas if you just jump in and you jump in without the whole network idea behind you, that's when you inadvertently expose yourself to risk. We're going to talk about some of the best practices today and and ways that public sector leaders can use LinkedIn in a best practice way. One of the things that I've seen as part of that uh, maturity journey that you were describing, there's also been a shift away from a reliance on the institution and to stay behind the agency or the department brand or company page. There's been a, a move away from relying on that institutional identity and instead starting to bring the people forward working in partnership. Is that something that you've observed as well? That's one of the keys to getting good engagement, I think, is that authenticity has got to come through. The era of broadcasting a carefully curated message from your social media team is probably gone if it ever really existed. I think if you think about what you're trying to get out of what engaging on a platform like LinkedIn, hopefully being authentic and letting your true self shine through is going to be a big part of it. So I think definitely it's the way which people speak and the way which people present themselves has got to ring true to who they actually are in the real world. I loved, I think it was Mike Kaiser that you had on the show here a few episodes ago. Yes. And his advice of just give it a crack of, you know, just have a go. Like you said before, you're in that safe space. You've got a safety net around you. People are there to pick you up. They're not necessarily there to put you back down. So if you get your message across and talk about what it is that you care about, then that's going to have a 
greatest impact on the engagement that you can have, I think. Absolutely. And even if nothing else, start by listening. Start by listening and learning what communities have to say out there and, and use that to inform how you go back to them, communicate and engage with them in the future. So you're touching there and I love Mike's advice too. I completely agree with you. Have a crack, give it a go. What are some of the use cases that public sector teams should be looking to LinkedIn to help them with? So I think if we look at the really tactical ones, just to help people get on in the first place, um, you know, how do I start? How do I demystify this idea? I'm not, don't see myself as a thought leader necessarily straight away, but I want to start, I want to engage somehow in some form. Think about the things that you can't do anywhere else. So how else can you recognize your team? How else can you recognize initiative that you worked on where you want to share the great results that somebody did? What an amazing opportunity to, you know, to do that to somebody in a public sphere and to tag them in. It's a very simple opportunity to, to, you know, to bring somebody in like that. Thinking about, like you said before, you can start engaging in different groups, start looking at different conversations and just making a contribution to that conversation. It could be replying to somebody else's post that's already on that, looking at a topic that you know something about that you can bring something to the table by making a comment or sharing or liking or saying something was insightful. You're contributing to that discourse and people will start to see you pop up in their feeds as well. So they will start to recognize you as somebody that knows something about this topic. But I think a couple of things just to kind of get the feet wet in there can be helpful to begin with. And then when we're going for that kind of bigger audience, I suppose, it's focusing on only talking about things that you know about. So what do I know about that other people don't? What would somebody like to learn potentially from my experience? Or what is it that I've got to share? And starting with that, I think you'll start to, to test out different ideas, see what works. If it doesn't work, it's okay. We can experiment. We can try something new. We can go back. There's a really, really helpful edit button on every post, which has a very, very small imprint. After you've done it, I edit it a hundred times probably after I posted something. And so feel free to use that and just experiment and see what happens. I want to pick you up on that, John, not not the edit. We're all human. <laughs> I think we all need to do that. But that, that idea around not feeling you have to own every conversation or not feeling you have to be an expert in every single topic or theme or conversation, I think it's so important. And it's a message that I'd love everyone listening to hear because I think there's a perception that as a leader of any institution, but as a leader on LinkedIn, there's a perception that I need to be the official voice on every single issue that comes through the doors of my organization. And LinkedIn is therefore a place to share that with the online world. And there's there's just no truth to it in the sense that what we should be doing, as you rightly point out, is owning those areas that you have expertise, that you have experience, that you've, you've got familiarity, owning those areas and allowing others across your team across the leadership team, sure, but, but more broadly and perhaps more deeply through the organization, allowing others to speak up and have a voice on the issues that they know deeply, that they understand intimately. And in doing so, I suppose, forming a sort of coalition of people who are working towards and, and reflecting the values of the organization that they represent, rather than having this one single figure who's expected to be the master of all ideas on LinkedIn. I just think it's fraught with danger and it puts an awful lot of pressure on leaders. So for advisors who might be listening to this, please don't treat your leader as the single mouthpiece to the outside world through LinkedIn. As you're saying, John, they should be reflecting their personality, their beliefs, their values, and their views in a way that is appropriate for public sector leaders through their LinkedIn profile, rather than being the jack of all trades and master of none. I just think it's such a really helpful and hopefully a relieving message for people to hear, John, because I don't think they hear it too often. Yeah, I think that's, that's it. That's what people are on here for. We're not 
on LinkedIn to listen to the latest press release. And people want to engage with other people. This is their platform. It's their network. Yes, they're working for your agency or your organization at that point in time, but it's them. It's them as an individual that people are here to see and here to interact with. If you look at the type of content that actually gets engagement, you know, the public sector, I think one of the top performing posts actually made the news was Secretary for Department of Employment and Workplace Relations, Natalie James holding Margarita. People like um, Jim Betts on the other side with the type of t-shirt that he's going to wear. That's These are the kind of things that's professional within the right context. It's engaging, it's relatable, it's having that impact of looking at that person and thinking, God, I would love to work with you. I would love to have a conversation with you. I'm excited about the kind of things that your department or your organization are going to do next. That's what I think is the type of content that we should be looking for. And whether you're comfortable in either of, of those spheres or, or not, it's, it's not necessarily the output that's important, but it's the intent behind it. Hence, the fact that it's your voice coming through, not a pre-prescribed what we think the world should be looking to see. I love that. And also, and Natalie James is a wonderful example. Jim Best is a wonderful example. As you said, Deb Jenkins, you've mentioned Mike Kaiser before. There are plenty of examples out there that other leaders can look to for inspiration, but you don't need to be them. I think that's the point here, John. They're great examples to look at. They're great examples to see how these individuals project their leadership style into the online world, but you can just be yourself. You don't need to replicate these individuals. And the other thing I'd say too, and actually Dr. Kirsten Ferguson on this podcast talked about this idea that if she said anything on social media, she would be so happy for it to go to mainstream media and to be broadcast on billboards because she stood behind her views and comments. Nothing would make her happier than starting a conversation on a social media platform that ended up on mainstream media. So I do think there's some some kind of wisdom in that too, John, that if we are saying things and sharing things about our leadership style and our belief as public sector leaders on LinkedIn, we should absolutely want these things to be shouted from the rooftops. And it's a great opportunity to do that. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Your Digital Reputation podcast. Now, whether this is your very first episode or you're a fully-fledged subscriber, I want to share an exclusive invitation with you. I want to invite you to join the one program that will help you take greater control of your digital reputation and help you kick some real goals on LinkedIn. It's our Your Digital Reputation LinkedIn for Leaders program, a one-month program built off the back of hundreds of conversations with leaders and 30,000-odd hours advising them on LinkedIn. By joining the program, you'll get access to a range of planning frameworks, best practice guidelines, and one-on-one coaching with me, Roger Christie, to help you avoid common LinkedIn mistakes and get real value for your efforts all that value in just one month to ensure you're set up for success well into the future. So what are you waiting for? If you're looking for a LinkedIn for Leaders program, feel free to hit pause on this episode right now and drop me an email at rchristy at propelgroup.com.au or go to www.propelgroup.com.au slash YDR for more details. I'd love to help you amplify your impact and show you just how powerful a business tool LinkedIn can be. All right, back to this episode. Another thing I think I'd be keen for those listening to understand is perhaps just an overview. I mean, this may sound like a bit of a 101 question, but I think it's helpful to give people a bit of a lay of the land of that maturing ecosystem that you talked about. LinkedIn as a platform is maturing. Could you give us an overview of, I suppose, what are some of the key solutions or functionalities that LinkedIn provides people working in the public sector? So if we're thinking about it from 
how do I make it easier to engage as a contributor to LinkedIn? There's a few things which you can do. There's the often one of the biggest barriers that people have is time. I think, you know, I've got, when am I going to make time to put LinkedIn into my day? How have I got time to put this post on? Or when is the best time to put this post? All those kind of questions come up. So we heard that and we've now created a very simple opportunity to schedule your posts. So it may sound a little bit cynical when you start to think about it and scheduling something on a post later on, but often you have those that germ of a thought, that idea that you know is going to make a good post. You know it's something that you want to share, but you're doing something else right now. Now you can start to create a post, save it, come back to it later. You can set the time that it's going to go. You can set it three months in advance. So if you're thinking about, you know, I know I need to make this comment about the upcoming event which is happening, or I know that this recruitment phase is going to come up or whatever's going to happen that, you know, you want to be there and be a part of, do it when you've got the time rather than missing out on it because you didn't have time when you needed to do it. That's probably one thing. The other option, again, on that kind of progressive posting front is the ability to use what we call creator mode. If you are looking to get out there and it's not necessarily about making connections, you don't necessarily want everybody to to be that kind of first tier connection, but you do want to build your voice. Being in creator mode makes that first option just to be followed. So people will get your updates. They will see the posts that you're putting out there, but they won't necessarily have to be accepted as part of your private network, um, which is a nice delineation to make, I think, a lot of the time. And then you also get access to all these amazing analytics about how your posts are performing, when they're performing, and you can really start to hone your craft a little bit more. One of the other things that I'd point to, John, that I think may be new functionality or, or being rolled out, or maybe not everyone has access to it, but even the ability to now put an out-of-office on mm. in your private messages. Yeah. <laughs> that was a really pleasant surprise. I know one of the things people complain about is, yeah, but you can't ever switch LinkedIn off. Well, you know, now you can. You can put that private message out of office on, let people know when you're going to be away from the office and come back to LinkedIn when you have the time and opportunity to do so. Yeah. Uh, but there's some great little tips and tricks there for people as well. And we won't get into the company page side of it. We won't get into the kind of the brand features and functionality that people have. But what I would say is if you've got questions about that stuff too, do reach out to John off the back of this episode because there are plenty of things. And, and in my view, there's plenty of ways that teams and leaders can work in partnership on LinkedIn through different assets and with different features and functionality to get the best result, whether that's around comms, reputation, or whether that's around talent attraction and engagement. So definitely, if you've got questions about that, uh, reach out to John off the back of this episode. And John, I suppose I'm also interested to know from a benefits perspective, you've talked about the growth we're seeing, the momentum we're seeing. You've talked about the um, the increasing capability and maturity of the platform itself. You've talked about some of these wonderful examples of leaders. What are the benefits that you hear? What stories do you hear from people, either you know statistically or even real life anecdotes that you hear from people who are out there on LinkedIn as leaders in the public service? What are the benefits they're gaining? For me, the biggest impact that LinkedIn can have to the public service is helping them to attract the talent that they're going to need to create the outcomes that we're hoping that they can create for all of us. Providing that opportunity to connect with new and different talent pools, being in a position where you can seek to identify people you wouldn't have necessarily discovered before, wouldn't have necessarily discovered you. That's where the rubber really hits the road for me. And that's where we really make an impact. As organizations get more and more mature in this area, we're starting to see some pretty amazing numbers come through. Even now, if you're kind of a mid-level maturity government organization with some kind of presence on LinkedIn, we're seeing about 50% 
of the people that were hired in the last year were influenced by your activity on LinkedIn before they joined. So that is one in two people that join government organizations, looked at one of your job ads, engaged with one of your leaders, looked at your company page, did one of those things before they took that decision to actually join your organization. For some of the more mature teams, that number goes up to 75% or 80%. So a huge amount of reach that previously didn't exist before. And a lot of that reach doesn't necessarily come from you know, showing a job advertisement or a, a great employee branding campaign. We look a lot at the idea of a candidate journey. Candidate journey is the process that somebody goes on before they actually make that decision to start a new career. So in a similar way to you make any major decision in your life, whether it's buying a new house, choosing a university to go to, buying a new car, the factors that drove you to make that decision didn't happen because of the shiny ad that you saw the week before on TV. That decision probably started way before you even knew that you needed to buy a new house or you needed to buy a new car. And the same thing is true of, you know, when you're looking for a new career, you and I and everybody listening on this call right now is on a journey towards or potentially away from certain organizations because of things that they're seeing, because of the conversations they're having with their peers, because of the things they see online. And at LinkedIn, we're fortunate because we can look at it from a data perspective. We can physically see the types of interactions that people start to make, and we can see when they join different organizations. So in the public sector, um, and it's probably not too dissimilar, I'd imagine, for the private sector, this journey starts typically around six months before they actually join somewhere new. So somebody, they start to look at a profile, they start to follow a company page, they start to follow updates. Some point down that process, they'll start to view a job ad and they'll apply and they'll do kind of formal stuff at the end. Uh, but it started way before. And there are on average about 40 interactions that make that journey. So. Every time you're putting a post out there, every time you're doing a profile update, every company post that your comms team are putting out, they're all little bumps along that journey, hopefully sending them towards you or potentially the reverse. Um, so when you think about the impacts that you're making as a leader, that's one of the hugest impacts. You're potentially affecting your next hire, which, which in an employment market like it is today is, is a very powerful thing to have at your disposal. So for me, that's, that's the number one impact. That's the big thing which you can provide and help your organization to do. And if you want the best, brightest, most capable minds in your organization, you're going to use whatever means you can to attract them, right? And I think, as you say, you've got this wonderful opportunity through LinkedIn. Why wouldn't you? We had a fantastic conversation. I mentioned it before um, with three professionals who shared their story about their own CEOs being magnets for talent and people who not only attracted them to their organizations, but also set a tone and a culture that empowered others to get active and, uh, you know, engaged, participatory, collaborative on LinkedIn to build cross-sector partnerships and all the benefits that came with that. And it's only been upside for them. So it's a really good episode that backs up exactly what you're saying. And I think also, as you were touching on there, John, the behavior is happening. Whether people like it or not, the behavior is happening. And so to your point, if there's an opportunity to have an uplift by, I think you said 75%, which is phenomenal in terms of the amount of people looking at that content and using that to make a career decision. Those same people, if they see nothing, are going somewhere else. So the behavior is already happening. And if you're not taking that opportunity, they will be looking to competitor organizations and that's where they're going. And I think what you what you also need to consider off the back of that is the types of candidates that you're attracting. So when you talk about those people who have been influenced um, you know, by uh, content that they've seen on their journey to deciding their next career move, my guess is if they're active and participating on LinkedIn, 
there's a good chance that they're immersed in relevant industry conversations. There's a good chance that they've built a network of relevant, credible people. There's a good chance that they see value in speaking up around things, sharing ideas, collaborating and growing individually and corporately as a team. All these things are more likely because they're active on LinkedIn. So it's not only that these this behavior is happening, it's not only that there's a huge opportunity for leaders and organizations to capitalize. When you capitalize, you're attracting the best talent and the sort of talent that's going to help you solve gnarly issues into the future. So there's some wonderful examples there. Thank you, John. And I think, yeah, it's such a good message to leave people with. And if I can also actually, we've talked about, I know you're focusing there on talent. There was a comment that Deb Jenkins made off the back of that post that we talked about right at the start of this conversation, the post that you made. And I remember she said, people don't work for organizations. They work for and with people. So getting to know your leaders and peers at a different level is so important. And I just think there's so much wisdom in that comment too. This is about, as you said before, sharing the authentic people, the leaders and their stories behind the public service. And that's what's going to form a deep connection and encourage people to come across and join your team today. Now, if I can ask you one final question uh, today, John, let's assume I work in the public sector and I have a LinkedIn company page. My leaders have profiles, but they're not super active or um, terribly effective at this stage. What are the one, two, three essential steps that you think I need to take to get results on LinkedIn? I would look at your peers, look at who's doing a good job already. For some reason, the tax world does LinkedIn brilliantly. Whether you're in the UK and the HMRC, they're smashing it. The ATO over here, they've got using their followership beautifully. And they've got these 200 and many hundred thousand followers and their culture and their brand and their EVP is all over there for everybody to see. And their leaders are phenomenally engaged as well with that kind of authentic, true selves. I never expected it before I started looking into it, but if you want to do it well, look at how the tax people are doing, wherever you are. Learn what you can from peers. Find your level would be one thing to do. Uh, we're not all the 25,000 staff agency, so we're going to have probably different peers and different benchmarks to look at, but find somebody that you like and is doing it well and take what you can from them. If that does that company page, although you've got it, does it reflect your organization? There's some things that you need to do that you're going to have to, you know, pay for and hopefully get, you know, some assets and media created. But at least at its most basic level, do the posts that you have displayed at the top reflect the tone that your organization wants to present to the world? Uh, remember, LinkedIn posts are only there for a point in time unless you make them sticky. So if there is something which you want to keep, make sure it's posted right there so that everybody can see it. And when it comes to your leaders, often, particularly if your leaders have been in seat for some time and may not be social media natives, they might need a bit of education. They might still be in that group of people that perceive LinkedIn as what it was five or six years ago. Aren't necessarily aware that it's the home of 14 million Australians from all different walks of life. There's 180,000 teachers, 20,000 carpenters, yeah, whoever it is that you're looking to engage with, there's an opportunity for you to do it on a platform like this. We also, we love being part of those conversations. So feel free to bring us in. We'll help them set a profile up, start with the basics, demystify it a little bit, and hopefully help them bring it to life and get them to engage with your own content. Employee engagement with the content that you're posting is huge for building that employer brand, building the network, being able to get referrals from the people that already work for you. Where we see employees engage with the content that their teams are posting, like Again, to talk about Geo we saw recently about a third of their staff engage with the content that they're posting, which is amazing. You're just getting that organic, great 
awareness and branding and promotion out there that you, you couldn't ever buy. Absolutely right. You, you couldn't buy that kind of advocacy, could you? And I think that's an important point. You've called out Dewar a couple of times here, the Department of Employment and Workplace Relations, and I think they are a great example in the way their leaders and staff, as you're saying, use LinkedIn broadly, very open, very collaborative. And I think they're a wonderful example to go and have a look at. But that employee engagement doesn't come from, hey, guys, we've just posted on LinkedIn. Can everyone please jump on and comment and support us? The engagement comes from the fact that people are engaged and there's an opportunity to participate online on LinkedIn because they see their leaders doing it. So as we can see through that example, and I think all the other examples that you've shared today, John, there are some really wonderful opportunities out there for public sector leaders and others beyond that as well. So whether you're looking to build your brand, reach or connect more deeply with key audiences, or as you were saying, John, attract and retain crucial talent to the sector, um, or even access global expertise and, and global insights to help you do your job more effectively, as you were saying with the, the UK tax example. LinkedIn is not just a social media broadcast tool. It is a strategic resource that every public servant should have in their toolkit. And if you've heard John's advice today and wondered why you're yet to capitalize or how you could capitalize, my advice would be to go back and look at your social media policy, as John said right at the outset, and start a conversation about how you can manage your legal and regulatory responsibilities effectively while still participating purposefully and in a way that audiences expect online. Because the public sector is not going to thrive through anonymity. And you've heard plenty of examples today you can look to for inspiration on what a different or better, more visible path might look like. And as John said, please do reach out to him with any questions. Find him on LinkedIn, of course, makes complete sense. Or reach out to me, Roger Christie, on LinkedIn with any questions too. We'd love to hear from you. But in the meantime, take care. And thanks, as always, for joining me on the Your Digital Reputation podcast. Thanks again for listening. If you've learned something from today's conversation, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with others. For all show notes, head to propelgroup.com.au. Thanks again for listening.